from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And welcome to the program. It's the Tuesday night edition of the program. If you want to join us by phone, feel free, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, interesting day on Capitol Hill. You had a, a little bit of a, a brawl that was about to have a couple of brawls, actually. It was two different brawls that uh, allegedly happened which didn't really happen. Uh, you've got the the one with McCarthy and the one with the guy from the Teamsters. Uh, we're going to get into those momentarily. And um, the the uh, big rally, of course, happened today, the uh, pro-Israel rally. Uh, as far as I know, went off without uh, too many hitches. And uh, let's see, there was some other stuff I wanted to uh, jump into here. Uh, the House did pass a short-term spending bill to avert a government shutdown. I want to get to that in the next segment because I think the question that's on a lot of people's minds is if we do this Band-Aid solution, is Speaker Johnson the same as Speaker McCarthy? Is he uh, a rhino in conservative clothing? Now, I certainly don't think so. I understand that uh, Rome wasn't built in a day and it's difficult to do these things, but I also understand that if you don't stand for something, you fall for anything. And I think this is wedged right between the two. So we'll discuss that a little bit as well. Uh, nearly 300,000 people showed up for the uh, pro-Israel rally in Washington, D.C. today. And like I said, not, not too many incidents. Uh, it's being reported as the largest pro-Israel gathering in history. With, uh, let me see here. With no arrests. Now, again, in Washington, D.C., when you have no arrests, that could just be, you know, woke prosecutors saying, well, we're not going to lock anybody up. So the cops won't lock anybody up because we won't prosecute anything. But like I said, uh, without major incident, uh, this thing went down. Now, the uh, I think the, the big news of the day is Congress. Uh, there was a lot of uh, news coming out of Congress, and especially with this spending bill, because this continuing resolution it would carry us uh, from, I guess, from this weekend into January. And then there's a second one they're proposing for that would carry us through February, uh, at which point then they're going to have to have a real conversation on what goes down. But listen to Speaker Mike Johnson at the press conference today discussing the two-step continuing resolutions that will stop spending. This is an important innovation, okay? And as was explained earlier, as long as I've been in Congress for seven years, we have governed by omnibus bills right before Christmas. It is a terrible way to run a railroad. And the reason that we're in such trouble uh, with, our, with our federal debt is because Congress is addicted, obsessed with this deficit spending. What happens, as you know, it's, it's, there's a CR that goes right up to Christmas break, and then they jam upon us, as was been said, thousands of pages in legislation that no one really has a chance to adequately read through and digest or amend or anything else. 
last year it was $1.7 trillion, you know, with a few hours notice. And they added 100 or 200 billion extra sprinkled on top of spending that no one had ever actually vetted or gone through. We cannot do that anymore. We have a $33.6 trillion federal debt. Moody's downgraded our, our credit rating uh, just this week. Two weeks ago, the Treasury Department announced we have to borrow, borrow $1.5 trillion over the next two quarters to keep the government uh, going. We cannot do that anymore. And so the latter CR, the two-step CR, everybody calls it something different. It's a new innovation. But it's going to change the way we've done this. So now the question is, is Mike Johnson wavering? Is he not going to be uh, the, the, the budget person that we thought he was going to be, the budget hawk? Is he not going to be? I, I personally, I think, look, this is politics. And, you know, uh, skewer me, if you will. But I think this is probably the only way they're going to pull it off. Again, if and it's not about a fear. I don't think his fear is of a government shutdown. I think his fear is one of creating goodwill and trying to get there incrementally. This is how the Democrats work. Right. So now if you're saying, are you saying Johnson's working like a Democrat? No, I'm saying he's working as a speaker and he's got to manage the Democrats as well as the conservatives and the rest of the Republican Party. So not an easy task to herd these cats. It's like na- nailing uh, jello to a tree. So I think the incremental approach is the only way to do it, buying some goodwill, gaining some goodwill, a little more, a little more, a little more, until you get to a place where you have enough leverage where you can have these fights. Uh, we could have the fight now, but I don't think it ultimately bodes well for Republicans. I don't think it bodes well for anybody. I think we end up with a shutdown that may not get us the, the type of pressure that we need. Uh, I think come February, it's shut down city. If we don't get what we need, shut it all down. Uh, now, some might say, Rich, you're totally wrong here. You want to do the shutdown right before Christmas because that's when people want, that's when they're going to feel it the most and there's going to be the most pressure. There's wisdom in that statement. However, I also think that you save yourself a lot of heartache with the media with the media saying, Mike Johnson, uh, Republicans shutting down the government, killing your Social Security, blah, 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 right? It's the same thing all over again. You know what they're going to do. So uh, in my opinion, I think he might be, uh, I don't want to use the word outsmarting, but I think managing the situation to have this fight a little bit later and avoiding where it's going to shock the people right before the holidays with the, the Republican brand all over it. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. You know, um, maybe uh, I've uh, I've been listening to too much Mitch McConnell lately, but uh, I think this might be a good approach. Probably not the one I would take. I probably would have the fight right now. Uh, but again, I'm not in Congress and I'm a lot more radical. So I think it's uh, I'm going to suffice it to say that this is probably the appropriate um, way to go. And, and I think that's that's how it's got to be in Congress. If, if you're going to get along, you've got to get along. Now, some people say, but that's the problem. we got too many Republicans. They're spineless, and they're just going along to get along. I, I realize it's a problem. I don't think that's what's happening here. I think that compromise is part of the job of being in Congress. I, I just believe that. I worked in government, and it's very different from talk radio. In talk radio, I could sit here and say, shut it down, because that's what I truly believe. And, um, you know, slash the budgets and destroy the Department of Education, eradicate it completely and, you know, really shrink the the spending, the size of government. I'd love to do all those things. But I also think that that can be a utopian approach. 
That is my conservative wish list. That's my conservative wet dream, if you will. But it, it I don't know that that's a political reality on the Hill. And uh, that's why I give the benefit of the doubt to see where this goes. Right? Maybe I'm wrong. You let me know. 833-482-5337. We're also going to talk about um, the the moment that uh, he's, that Representative Tim Burchett says that Kevin McCarthy elbowed him in the kidney. <laughs> a little gut punch there. Let's see. Uh, we'll hear about that in a moment. And, of course, uh, he said he got him with a clean shot to the kidneys. Ouch. Those hurt. And I also want to get into the, um, the other um, potential uh, uh, face-off with uh, Senator Mark Wayne Mullen uh, with the leader of the Teamsters, Sean O'Brien, where they uh, both got in each other's faces. And I got to say, I'm pretty sure he was close to getting in trouble because, you know, he was literally uh, working, right? (laughs) I think it's one thing to do it in the hallway. It's another thing to do it in the middle of a hearing. But either way, it was pretty gangster. And we're going to talk about that as well. And, you know, who broke it up? Bernard Sanders, hold on, hold on. Stop it. Sit down, sit down. Don't fight. Don't fight. These are my communist friends. They're here visiting. Come on, respect them. Oh, boy. Anyway, uh, we'll, we'll hear that audio as well on the way back. And you guys remember the 1980s movie, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off? And the uh, professor famously is calling for Ferris Bueller in class, taking attendance, saying, Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. Well, that actor is Mark Stein. He's an economist and former speech writer for the Nixon administration. And he's going to join us next to discuss his new book about President Nixon. We're going to talk about the economy and get some of his opinions on all of the hottest news stories of the day. Right here with me, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. By the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations. I had somebody. It's always nice to check. I like to see, even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing. Are people listening, right? That's but right. You're, you're doing great. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Anderson. Here. Bueller. 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 Um, he's sick. My best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows this kid is going with the girl who saw Ferris pass out at 31 Flavors last night. I guess it's pretty serious. Thank you, Simone. No problem whatsoever. Ferris Bueller's day off. And of course, that's the voice of Ben Stein. Uh, of course, he's an actor, an author, a humorist, and he's a former speechwriter for both uh, Nixon and Ford administrations. Ben Stein, welcome to the program. Thank you, lawyer and economist, too, sir. Lawyer and economist. Most, they they, they most, cut the bio uh, short. A lot of my time as a lawyer and economist, my friend. Outstanding. 
I knew you were an economist. I didn't know you were a lawyer. That's fantastic. It's going to oh, make yes. for some Yale good conversation. Yale Law School, class of 1970. Fantastic. Well, before we get into Thank all you. that good stuff, I, I'd love to know, how does someone that graduates from Yale Law School, how do you make the connection into getting into film and television as well as doing all of the amazing work you've done? Well, uh, I just uh, followed my nose, you might say. I, uh, I was, uh, when I got out of law school, I was a poverty lawyer. As I worked for what was then called the War on Poverty, and then the Office of, also the Office of Legal Services, same thing. And then I was a lawyer for the Federal Trade Commission, uh, which, well, I was a weird place. And, I, <laughs> and then uh, I was a teacher at American University, which I really loved. I think that's pretty near where you're talking to me from. And uh, I, wow, did I love teaching at American University. And uh, then I uh, got a wonderful, wonderful, uh, wonderful thing, which is to say uh, I got a uh, job as a speechwriter for uh, Mr. Nixon and then for Mr. Ford. Uh, in between, I got a job teaching at uh, UC Santa Cruz, the most beautiful campus in the world. And uh, then uh, I wrote a lot of pieces about Hollywood and about the politics of Hollywood for uh, the Wall Street Journal. They hired me and I became full-time uh, columnist uh, and editor writer for the Wall Street Journal. And then uh, a very, very, very successful uh, sitcom producer named Norman Lear uh, noticed my work. He said, he called me to meet him. And he, I, he said, you're the only conservative I've ever met with a sense of humor, and uh, I'd like <laughs> to have you uh, come and uh, work for me in Hollywood. And I I said, I'm your man. I'm there. I'm there. How soon do you want me to be there? And they paid me a lavish $600 a week, and which I, I thought I was rich. I really did. I thought I was a Rockefeller. And, uh, and uh, that was... Uh, that was, uh, and, and then, so, so then I, I wrote lines of dialogue for the Norman Lear. Then I wrote some screenplays and I wrote quite a few novels and then some books about economics and, uh, self-help about economics. And, uh, well, little by little, I just built up a way of earning a fairly good living and, uh, bought a lot of houses and, uh, lived in some of them, some of them I didn't live in. And uh, onward and upward, and uh, I don't know. I just sort of enmeshed myself in Hollywood. Have you given up on Hollywood, or are you still working on film projects and television? I've, I've pretty much given up on it. I I, uh, I liked it. I even loved it, but I was cheated so many times. Every single time that I had an idea for a movie, I either wrote the movie or. I was cheated out of it, and I had to go to litigation to get even a small credit. I mean, the, Hollywood is a gang of thieves. I mean, it's a, it obviously also makes some incredibly great products, but uh, it's mostly a, a den of thieves. I mean, it's just, it's just astonishing. It might as well be a mafia. Maybe it is the mafia. I don't know. It might as well be the mafia. You know, it seems to me like it is the mafia, and... And nowadays, um, it's it's shocking that there were any conservatives in Hollywood because all of the ones that used to be in Hollywood seem to have gotten blacklisted one way or another. I've spoken with well, a number I of have, people. and I certainly have been. I, right. I, mean, I, I have, without question, have been. And and uh, it's when I talk to my agent about it, she just laughs and says, 
if I say I have an idea for a screenplay, she just laughs. 25 years, 30 years ago, if I had an idea for a screenplay, at 9 a.m. in the morning, it would have been sold by lunchtime, and I would have gotten a pretty good-sized check for it within 10 days. And uh, so that, But that's, those, those days are long, long, long gone, long, long, long gone. And then I had, a, for a long time, I had a very excellent, excellent career doing uh, commercials and being in TV shows. And then I had my own TV show, a, a really successful quiz show called Win Ben Stein's Money, Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that was we made uh, almost a thousand episodes. We won seven Emmys. It's it pretty successful. Yeah, I, I remember both of those shows. Oh, well, the show and of course the commercials uh, with the eye drops. Yeah, and everything we, else. we were they working were all the time, working like mad, man. And now uh, here we are. Yeah. Now here we are, and, where conservatives can't get a leg in Hollywood. Well, you know what? Conservatives cannot get. Uh, arrested in Hollywood, but uh, I've had some good times, and uh, I have a nice big house in Beverly Hills. And uh, my ca- problem is, I'm now old, and my legs are screwed up. I can't get up the stairs very well anymore. But uh, I had a good time. I mean, if I if if somebody asked me if I would rather have stayed in Washington uh, in the bureaucracy, no, definitely not. If uh, someone said to me, if you could have had a job working in the White House for the rest of your life, that I would take in a second. I love working in the White House. Outstanding. Well, we're going to talk like, about... Loved it. Loved it. Well, I'm gonna, we're going to find out why you loved it, as well as your book, The Peacemaker, Nixon, The Man, President, and My Friend by Ben Stein. We're going to discuss that. I also want to get your take on the uh, current state of affairs in the American economy, or Bidenomics, as it's known lately. And uh, and anything else you want to muse on. And folks, if you want to join the conversation, the telephone number to join me and Ben Stein, or I should say Ben Stein and I, 833-482-5337 is the phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. And we're coming right back with Ben Stein. He's the author of The Peacemaker, Nixon, The Man, President, and My Friend. And of course, Ben Stein, you just heard him say it. He was a speechwriter in the Reagan, excuse me, in the Nixon White House as well as the Ford White House. So we're going to get to that momentarily. Don't go anywhere. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. several years now. I want the audience to know what a wonderful, decent person you are. Very, very thoughtful. America at Night with Rich 
Valdez. In 1930, the Republican-controlled House of Representatives, in an effort to alleviate the effects of the, anyone, anyone, the Great Depression, passed the, anyone, anyone, a tariff bill, the Hawley-Smoot Tariff Act, which anyone raised or lowered, raised tariffs. Of course, that's the voice of Ben Stein playing the professor in uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And uh, to his many credits in Hollywood, uh, he's also a real-life professor, was a real-life professor, an economist, an attorney, and a speechwriter in the Ford and Nixon uh, White Houses. And uh, Ben Stein is our guest. Ben Stein, welcome back. I'd I'd like to discuss a little bit about your book, The Peacemaker, Nixon, The Man president and my friend uh in the previous segment you mentioned that you you loved absolutely loved working in the white house tell us more loved it i had been before that at the federal trade commission and it had some very 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 smart people in it but it was a dreary miserable place i li- i worked in an annex that was in the old star building i think if, if memory serves it was at 11th and pennsylvania avenue and it was such a slummy, miserable place. There would be homeless people urinating against the front, the front door uh, when I came in. That was not a very welcoming or pleasant place to work. Uh, and uh, we had no decent offices, no decent lighting. This was before the era of computers or Internet. And uh, everything was shoddy and cheap and miserable. And everybody was walking around with uh, kind of unpleasant look on their faces. And Sounds like San really, Francisco. Uh, it's funny. Yes, I was, I, it was a lot worse than San Francisco. But anyway, it, it, uh, when I got the chance to work at the White House, which was decorated to the nines, I had, wonder, I had a couch in my office with satin furnishings, satin upholstery matching the curtains in the room. It was amazing. It was just such luxury. I had a really, really great secretary. I worked next door to two of the smartest people I've ever met in my life, Aram Bakshian and John Coyne, uh, also speechwriters. And, uh, wow, it was great. And then when I moved to the White House, uh, I got to my father at that time was chairman of the President's Council of Economic Advisors. And I got to have lunch with him a couple of times a week. And it was just wonderful. I mean, to be able to have lunch with your father in a place like the White House Mess, which had an incredible lunch. For $2.50, you could have a really good steak and a baked, baked potato and string beans and wow. uh, ice cream sundae. And it was just really, really great stuff. It was just, not just good, great. Bidenomics is really killing us on inflation. Two fifty for a steak. That sounds terrific, Ben Stein. You're not kidding. I, I, I buy steaks for wifey and that's thirty four ninety nine a pound and uh that's mm-hmm. pretty and I it's still got a fair amount of fat that to fill up. But I had such a good time at the White House and Mr. Nixon was very nice to me. I don't know how, but he knew that I was Herbert Stein's son. And I would see him walking down the hall with his uh, aides and his uh, guards and uh, sometimes his wonderful, wonderful daughter, Julie, and uh, their dogs, King Timo, Pasha, and Vicky. 
And uh, I became very good friends with Julie Nixon Eisenhower. And uh, wow, we we just had such a good time. I mean, it, it was it didn't seem right. It didn't seem possible that this was considered work. <laughs> yeah, I can, it's kind of like me doing radio. I always I forget that this is my job. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I would like to do radio too if they want to have. They'd like to have an overweight conservative in Hollywood. I'll I'll come over to Washington and do it. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. Now, Ben Stein, so you, you were you were loving your job in the White House as a speechwriter for President Nixon. And uh, one of the things you said here was, I don't think any president has been more wrongly persecuted than Nixon ever. I just think he was right, a saint. I don't. And, and it's funny, uh, was, earlier this year, I, I interviewed one of the lawyers from the Watergate Commission, one of the Watergate lawyers, and he said that now, and he's you know in his 70s now, he said that he believed after, you know, years of research, after working as a lawyer on Watergate, that the whole thing was a setup and um, Nixon was the fall guy. Uh, I think there's a lot to that. Uh, it's 52 years or 51 years since the Watergate break in. And uh, I still don't know what he did wrong. Uh, I don't know what they were looking for at the Watergate office building. Uh, I don't know what the crimes were there. They uh, nailed him on something like 11 counts. They started out with 12, but I was the defense counts on one of the counts. We got that one dismissed. So uh, I I don't think even now uh, anyone could say what for sure Nixon did wrong. I I really don't. But we do know he made uh, open relations with China. He made first uh, a strategic arms limitation treaty with the Soviet Union. He saved Israel and saved the Middle East from having nuclear war during the Yom Kippur War. Uh, he ended, ended uh, real, genuine, legally enforced segregation in the Deep South. This is a guy who accomplished a hell of a law. And got a raw deal. And now, um, let's... Um, well, very raw deal. Yeah, it seems that way. And it seems like there's a whole playbook for that. And they do it whenever they, there's a Republican president they don't like. They revert back to it and kind of reinvent it. You now, bet. You bet. You bet. They're doing it right. They did it with Mr. Trump, which is just nonsense. He didn't do anything wrong either. Yeah, it's it's crazy what's going on. And it seems to be the future if, if we don't figure out a way to stop it. Why do you think? I hope we will. Well, Sorry, using that as no, that's fine. Using that as a as a juxtaposition for something that you mentioned in the book was you, you talk about how the media hated Nixon, and uh, I wasn't alive for that. I was born in 78, but I, I, I do know that the media hates Trump. <laughs> so, you know, when I think of Watergate, I think of, you know, uh, Russiagate and, uh, and try to draw the parallels that way. Why do you think there's such a hatred of either of these guys? Uh, one, Nixon was sensitive, and it's just like in the schoolyard playground, uh, the uh, bullies will pick on the sensitive guy who's who shows it when you pick on him. And that's what, that's what happened with Nixon. The, the schoolyard bullies in the Congress and in the media picked on him. Uh, he was, uh, I, I think it had a lot to do with the fact that he was strongly anti-communist and uh, the uh, federal bureauc- bureaucracy has still got a lot of left-wingers. I'm not sure how many of them are actual communists, maybe none. But uh, they're left-wingers, and they hated Nixon because he was after the left-wingers. They didn't like him because he wasn't rich. Uh, The media, the more left-wing they are, the more they worship money. 
uh, it was uh, things we've seen before. Uh, they they hated Trump because he he seems to be rich, but I would bet you that if you took his real assets uh, versus his real liabilities, he wouldn't be rich at all. Anyway, he's uh, uh, Nixon. He, he was too sensitive. He was, he was way too sensitive. He was he wasn't tough enough. He wasn't a tough guy like Reagan who could take the attacks and just laugh at them. Right, Nixon with a smile. Was, was a sensitive guy. And and of course, it seemed to have uh, worked to his detriment. Now, very what, much so. Very much so. As an insider in the the Nixon White House. Um, you, you refer to him as uh, a peacemaker, and obviously there, there's you know a number of accounts of why you would do that. But what was the main impetus for you? What really resonated within you to call him the peacemaker? Well, his mother had said to him at one point, his mother was a Quaker, which, and of course, of course they believe in peace above everything else. And uh, his mother said, at some point, Richard, you're going to get the chance to do something great for the children of Israel and do it. And uh, he did that during the Yom Kippur War. He saved Israel from being beaten down into nothing by the Russians helping the Arabs. And that was an incredible, incredible achievement. Really one of the great achievements in modern or any foreign policy ever. Uh, so that, uh, he said, I mean, Israel was ready to use the atom bomb. And uh, it may well be the Russians was getting ready to use the atom bomb against Israel. Nixon stopped all of that, and uh, that's peacemaker enough to be able to stop one nuclear war is plenty. But he also uh, made peace with China, thereby encircling uh, the Soviet Union and letting the Soviet Union know that uh, the game was up in terms of their winning the Cold War. It wasn't going to happen. By contrast, uh, today's foreign policy regarding Israel from the current White House are abysmal, in my opinion. What do you think? Abyssal doesn't even take it. Here's the uh, terrorist, Hamas, committed the most heinous war crime atrocities that could have been imagined. In fact, I don't think they could have even been imagined. And uh, next thing we know, uh, and Israel says, we're going to make it so you can never do that again. They didn't say we're going to get revenge on you. They said we're going to dismantle you. We're going to take you apart so you can never do this again. And uh, that idiot Biden is saying, yeah, let's give uh, let's give the Hamas a humanitarian pause. Are you kidding? Did we give Japan a humanitarian pause after mm-hmm. they bombed Pearl Harbor? Did the, did Churchill give the Nazis a humanitarian pause after they did the Blitz and were bombing the hell out of London? No, nobody thought of that, but somebody as dopey as Biden. Yeah, folks, we're on with Ben Stein. He's the author of The Peacemaker, Nixon, The Man, The President, and My Friend. We're going to continue uh, with Ben Stein straight ahead and get his thoughts on uh, Biden, as he calls him, the idiot, and his, uh, and, and his Bidenomics plan, how that's working out. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, Mr. Valdez, you have one of the greatest shows that radio has ever had. America at Night with Rich Valdez. 
define success with your meeting with President Xi? To get back on a normal course of corresponding, being able to pick up the phone and talk to one another if there's a crisis, being able to make sure our military still have contact with one another. We can't take, as I told you, we're not trying to decouple from China. But we're, what we're trying to do is change the relationship for the better. From my perspective, if in fact the Chinese people who are in trouble right now economically, if the average homeowner or the homeowner, if the average citizen in China was able to have a decent paying job, that benefits them and it benefits all of us. But I'm not going to continue to sustain the support for positions where if we want to invest in China, we have to turn over all our trade secrets. That's President Biden at the White House today uh, regarding his meeting with Xi Jinping and discussing the state of economic affairs in China and not really talking about the state of economic affairs in America, where he only has a 24 percent approval rating um, on on his handling of the economy. Our guest is Ben Stein. Uh, you know him as an actor, an attorney, an economist. He's the author, a New York Times bestselling author, by the way, of The Peacemaker, Nixon, The Man, President, and my friend Ben Stein. What's your thought on what you just heard President Biden say? I wasn't 100% sure of what he did say, to tell you the truth. I, <laughs> I think he said to have good relations with China, but uh, that, that's hardly a three-star news bulletin. Uh, yeah, well, of course we want to have good relations with China. We don't want to go to war with China. Who, who would? What's, and why would they want to go to war with us? What are they going to do, invade Oregon? I mean, there, there's uh, there's some kind of confusion, I think, in, in Mr. Biden's uh, gray old head. God bless him for being old. I'm old, too. But uh, uh, gosh, Mr. Biden, uh, maybe you should think about what you're going to say before you say it. Now, with with respect to the economic situation here in America, uh, we've got uh, the latest poll came out, I think, on Sunday night that says 24 percent of uh, of of Democrats support Biden on his um, handling of the economy. Not a good number for him. Uh, What say you? I say uh, the economy is doing very well in some respects, but. The inflation is really serious, I and mean, this is not a joke. Uh, it's a, a very bad thing when uh, people have to uh, worry terribly about the interest rates they're going to pay to buy a house. I mean, the interest rates on mortgages have risen to stratospheric levels, uh, not seen for well, certainly, certainly for for forty some years. Uh, I'm uh, I, I worry about that, but I don't see how. They can do anything else but that to try to tamp down the inflation. And this is all, I blame this, I call this Fauci economics or Fauci economics because I think people pumped up the money supply like crazy an unjustified fear that uh, the pandemic was going to lead to a, a depression. And it was that pumping up of the money supply that led to the uh, very severe inflation. Ben Stein, stick with us. I want to uh, wrap up with you with a final question. And folks, again, the number 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
Rich Valdez, who again will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to it. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, familia, welcome back. Amigos, we're on with Ben Stein. He's an attorney, economist, and the author of The Peacemaker. Nixon, the man, the president, and my friend. It's available in hardcover. I recommend getting two copies, one for yourself, one to give as a gift. Uh, the holidays are around the corner. It makes a great stocking stuffer. Now, Ben Stein, when you were serving in the Nixon administration, um, that was around the last time that our economy was tied to a gold standard. And looking at um, you know, hindsight as 2020, was that a good decision? Should we return to a gold standard? No, I don't. Well, first of all, there's not enough gold. So, uh, so I don't think we have a choice about doing that unless we were to make, uh, we, we would have to set an impossibly high valuation for gold to do that. And, uh, the gold is having a currency tied to the gold standard has not stopped countries from having terrible inflation. It has not stopped countries from having terrible unemployment, uh, it's a nice idea, and it's a, people like simple-minded ideas for economic crises. Uh, unfortunately, this one is too simple-minded. It just doesn't work. Now, with uh, respect to the current inflation crisis, uh, do you think that Biden could try to um, use a gimmick to, towards um, closer to election time to bring interest rates down, to say, hey, we brought interest rates down, we've done this, we've done that, uh, inflation's continued to decrease every month for the last X amount of months uh, in order to try and win favor with the public? I think it would be wonderful if he could, but he can't. I mean, you can't, you cannot wave a wand and lower interest rates. It would be nice if you could, but, uh, but it just can't be done. It's never been done, and it can't be done. I would really like to see it done. I have a lot of I don't want to brag, but I have a lot of real estate, and, and uh, I'd like to see the interest rates go down a heck of a lot, but uh, it just uh, doesn't work that way. That when Once you start raising the interest rates, the interest rates keep rising until, by some miracle, which we don't quite understand, uh, then uh, prices start to fall, and then interest rates start to fall. But we're not, I don't think we're close to that point, although I do note with considerable hope that uh, gasoline prices here in sunny Southern California have de- definitely gone down quite a bit, and maybe that gives me some hope. All right. Ben Stein, uh, let everybody know how they can keep up to speed with everything you're doing and how they can follow you. Well, there's the American Spectator. I uh, write for that quite a lot. Uh, there's a, a TV show, I'm sorry, an Internet show on a conservative uh, site called rumble.com and I talk on that quite a lot or very lot and um, I, I think that's a, that's that's enough that's enough for Ben Stein <laughs> perfect folks check out Ben Stein grab a copy of the peacemaker Ben Stein you're a gentleman a scholar and a patriot thank you sir God bless you sir and I love Washington DC uh, <laughs> God bless From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night 
with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the Tuesday night edition of the program. Our telephone number, if you want to join us, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And in addition to all of the news coming out of Congress today, uh, there was also a story out of Arizona where New York Post is reporting that a bunch of baby-faced teens are suspected of working as human smugglers for a cartel. And this is worrisome to the police. NBC's Trisha Hendricks has the report. The cartels are apparently using social media to try to recruit teenagers to get them involved when it comes to things like human and drug smuggling cases. And this most recent case, an arrest made over the weekend, this time Cochise County Sheriff's deputies arrested a 19-year-old, Eli LeClaire from Mesa, and 18-year-old Landon Vert from Gilbert. That was just on Friday evening after deputies say they found the teens trying to smuggle five undocumented migrants into the U.S. from the border. Deputies stopped teens in a 2000 nine Honda Ridgeline truck while they were traveling on Highway 80. Deputies arrested both the driver, LeClaire, as well as his passenger, and then turned the migrants over to U.S. Border Patrol for processing. The teens were booked into Cochise County Jail on human smuggling charges. So that's uh, two teenagers, 18 and 19 years old, Landon Vert and Eli LeClaire, arrested uh, because they were pulled over and they were transporting uh, illegal aliens that were stowed in the car uh, in Cochise County, Arizona. And again, a similar story out of Texas a week ago where they got into a car accident and it turns out the smugglers were bringing people across and they died. And in addition to the people that were in the accident that died, so I think a total of eight people died in that one. This continues to happen, and there's uh, a lot of reports that the the, the newest smugglers, uh, a year ago they were saying that the smugglers were Uber drivers, that they were just having people um, pick up a cell phone along the way and then get to, uh, I don't know, a mile or two miles out from the border and call Uber to get to where they had to be. So obviously the the problem that we have is massive, and uh, I want to get to the bottom of it with our guest, who is a former CIA operative, and he's the CEO of Deliver Fund, which is a company that addresses human trafficking by creating intelligence or providing intelligence and delivering specialized analytics to law enforcement and to the public. Nick McKinley, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Likewise. And uh, I want to get your reaction to the story you just heard. I'm sure it's nothing new to you, but it seems to be a recurring theme of more and more smuggling going on at the southern border. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, when we have borders as, as open as ours are, um, and not to you know really engage in, in any of the political discussion around should they be open or should they not, the harsh reality of it is that when you have an open border, then people are going to come across it because they want to come to what they believe is a better place. 
And uh, unfortunately, the the primary way that people are going to enter this this country illegally is to be smuggled with the help of either coyotes from the cartels or, uh, you know, people, uh, as we just heard in the news story on this side of the border. About six weeks ago, there was a story about a 12 year old boy who'd gotten his hand caught in a machine that was used to mechanically separate chicken. He was working the midnight shift. And I, I told my producer, I said, I bet you that kid's an illegal alien. And um, because there was no mention of his parents in the article and um, a follow up article on it showed that that was, in fact, the case. He had no no parents. He was in the country illegally working a midnight shift and uh, living with what they say were family members. I don't know if that's true, but ultimately uh, this isn't always about sex trafficking, but there's also human trafficking for illegal or I should say child labor. Uh, What can you tell us about that? I think you're, the stories that you're bringing up are are perfect representation of how human smuggling and human trafficking intertwine. It's important for people to understand that the major majority of the trafficking victims on the commercial sex side in the United States are U.S. citizens. Uh, they're being trafficked by U.S. citizens to U.S. citizens. Um, however, when we start talking about the illegal labor piece, in this case, a 12-year-old boy getting his hand caught in a you know chicken-separating machine. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess uh, that most likely the people he was living with were not family members. They were probably smugglers or, or, or somebody of the sort. He probably was not getting paid properly to be there. They're, I'm going to guess he's not going to get workman's comp or anything like that. And why is a 12-year-old boy working in that kind of those types of conditions, which are very clearly meant for adults? That's how human smuggling becomes human trafficking. So when you have people coming across the border illegally, then they exist outside of the system. And anybody who exists outside of the system is open to exploitation. And obviously they don't exist. So it's hard to track them. It's hard to protect them. It's hard to know what happens if if they're eliminated or injured or anything else. So my, and my, it, go ahead. And it makes it very difficult for them to go to law enforcement to report any of the you know terrible conditions that they might be living or working in because they don't want to be deported because they are here illegally. Uh, so you can see how the problems just end up compounding. Now, your, your work with uh, the CIA, was it in uh, relation to this, um, the same work you do now on human trafficking, human smuggling? No, not at all. In fact, uh, that's why I started the organization that that I run back in in 2014. Uh, When I was at the CIA, it was strictly uh, counterterrorism. And my job was we went over to other countries and we carried guns in anger on behalf of the taxpayer against against terrorist entities. And it wasn't until uh, 2013 when I was in southern Afghanistan and we had uh, what I like to call smoking gun intel on a human trafficker that was moving children across the AFPAC border. And when we wrote that up and tried to figure out, like, where, where does this intel go? Well, there's no there's no centralized place for it. And I think the best analogy for thinking about this is in terms of drugs or alcohol, tobacco and firearms. I mean, drugs are, you know, 90% of drugs are legal, yet we spend billions of dollars a year on a DEA fighting what is the illicit sale of these legal commodities. 
alcohol, tobacco, and firearms are all legal. One of them is constitutionally protected right. And yet we spend billions of dollars a year fighting the illicit sale of those legal commodities. Per the 13th Amendment, 100% of human slavery is illegal. And where is our counter-human trafficking agency? Who's got the ball on that issue? Uh, And when I realized that it was primarily state and local law enforcement, then that's when I realized that we needed to start equipping and training and advising them with intelligence, with data, and, and the analytic tools they needed to get to the bottom of this problem. Folks, we're on with Nick McKinley. He's a former CIA, CIA operative uh, specializing in counterterrorism, and he's now working in human trafficking as the CEO of Deliver Fund, which uh, disrupts human trafficking by providing intelligence and delivering specialized analytics to law enforcement and the public. And I want to continue with him and get his take on the brothel bust that we saw in Virginia and Massachusetts um, a week or two ago, uh, because all of this seems to be related. And um, I want to invite you guys to call in as well. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. According to the charging documents, the buyers who made up this ring hail from an array of professions. They are doctors, they are lawyers, they are accountants, they are elected officials, they are executives at high-tech companies and pharmaceutical companies, they are military officers, government contractors, professors, scientists. Pick a profession, they are probably represented in this case. They are the men who fueled this commercial sex ring. And the government alleges that there are potentially hundreds of individuals who took these services as commercial sex buyers. The buyers in this case are not charged today. They're not named in the affidavit. But I want to emphasize, this is an investigation that's just getting going, and we're in the very early stages. That's acting U.S. Attorney Joshua Levy from Massachusetts uh, announcing um, about uh, two weeks ago the uh, brothel bust in D.C. and in Boston. And our guest, Nick McKinley, former CIA operative and CEO of Deliver Fund, is here to discuss the implications of that. Nick, do you believe that national security was compromised as a result of the client list? I don't know that it was. I would be surprised if it wasn't. Uh, These types of of uh, honey trap or, or honey pot operations where uh, you have, in, in this case, very clearly some foreigners who were running this, this brothel. Mm-hmm. I would be surprised if they weren't 
you know, getting photos and video of, of the different acts happening. And then, you know, if, if there wasn't a plan to use those photos and videos to blackmail certain individuals, perhaps social or um, uh, security clearance holders to, uh, you know, to, to convince them to betray their country by giving away secrets. I, I think as that uh, acting uh, U.S. attorney just said, they're just getting started. How prevalent uh, is this type of honeypot operation by foreign actors targeting uh, folks in our national security establishment? I would say it is, uh, besides just trying to bribe people with cash, uh, it is the number two most used operation. Uh, I mean, I know when I was at the CIA, it was always amazing to me when me, not a very good-looking guy, would be sitting at a, a bar or a restaurant, and all of a sudden, some you know gorgeous girl with a Russian accent would suddenly start making eyes at me. It was like, okay, well, I didn't suddenly get better looking. <laughs> so, uh, you know, this uh, this this type of thing happens all the time. Well, you said that is probably the second most used. What's the first? First most used is just greed, just just playing to people's greed or ego. And, and just, just buying them off with, uh, with cash. Uh, usually there's a combination of both uh, greed and ego in play. Uh, but, but yeah, just, uh, just cold, hard cash, paying them to betray their country and give away secrets. Now, um, the clients they, they mentioned um, were, you know, people in government, government contractors. Uh, tell us what you know about who these clients were. I don't personally know uh, about who these clients were, um, and, and you know we don't comment on um, on ongoing law enforcement investigations. But I, I can tell you that just generically, what we're talking about are predominantly men of means. Um, so this is going to be you know upper middle class to wealthy who are purchasing commercial sex services, kind of thinking that they're engaging in you know, a, a, a victimless crime, like they're just paying somebody for a service and they're receiving the service and the other person's getting paid and everything is, is just fine. But when you actually look into the affidavits and you look into the, uh, um, the charging documents, what you find is that they're, you know, these, these women who were working there were uh, not really representing themselves on the messages. There was obviously these, uh, these men and women who were who were running this ring of these brothels who were communicating for the women. So then the question becomes, well, were they? Why were they communicating for the women? Were the women not free to go? Were they not free to communicate with other people on their own? Who was keeping the money? Uh, so it'll be very interesting to see uh, as this case unfolds publicly uh, what educational opportunities there are for the public to learn about how this type of operation runs. Where do you think this investigation ultimately leads? I think it leads back to most likely mainland China. I think that uh, there's probably a high likelihood that perhaps Chinese intelligence or Chinese organized crime was involved. And I think that uh, we'll probably find that there was some level of, of human trafficking happening with the, with the women and I will be shocked if uh, now if, if national security was compromised because of this uh, 
this case, I don't think publicly we will learn about that. I think that those cards will, you know, the government hold them close to their vest because uh, they don't want people knowing, uh, you know, to what level it was compromised. That we got caught with our pants down. Literally. Yeah, literally. <laughs> uh, and that that could potentially give the, the enemy a um, a confirmation that they were targeting the right people. So we, you know, as, as a government, we have to be careful about what we release. But um, I, w- I would be very surprised if, uh, if, if national security was not compromised at some level. Now, Nick McKinley, um, tell the folks that are listening uh, a little bit about what you guys do at Deliver Fund. Yeah, so at Deliver Fund, we, uh, we equip law enforcement with technology, data, and, and specialized analytics, and then we train them in how to use that to, to build human trafficking cases against human traffickers. And then we also provide them with uh, not just analytic support, but intelligence support and actually helping them to uh, determine who the human traffickers are. Because the way we've traditionally fought human trafficking in this country, especially through nonprofit models, is either by focusing on victim restoration, which is a very important part of the work, or on the education uh, part of the work. But the reality is, is that you can't have a victim of human trafficking if you don't have a human trafficker to create that victim. And, and when we looked at the, the landscape of who was doing what fighting human trafficking, really what we found was that there was a massive gap in the need for data and intelligence around human trafficking and, and, and providing that intelligence to law enforcement. So we created an organization and that's what we do and what we've done really every day for the last nine years. Outstanding. Now let everybody know if they want to uh, follow the work that you're doing uh, where do they go? How do they follow you? So you can find us on all the social media platforms at Deliver Fund. You can find me on Instagram and LinkedIn at the.nick.nic.mckinley. And then our website is Deliver Fund. That's D-E-L-I-V-E-R-F-U-N-D.org. Outstanding. Uh, Nick McKinley, thank you, sir. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot, and I appreciate you staying up late well, thank you for having me on. You bet. Folks, there's more to come straight ahead. Our buddy John Tobacco from Newsmax TV is going to join us uh, to discuss all of the crazy in Congress. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night. We're coming right back. Welcome back. We are on with my buddy, my pal, John Tobacco. You know him as the host of Wise Guys on Newsmax TV every weekend. And John Tobacco has been on television, whether as a commentator, a guest expert, or a host for nearly 20 years. And he spent a quarter century on Wall Street as a 
Wall Street uh, innovator and entrepreneur. He's uh, very politically active, and he's just an all-around great guy. John Tobacco, welcome, sir. Ricardo, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be with you. Beautiful, beautiful introduction. I can't thank you enough. And uh, when you say quarter century, I start to feel really old, but thank you. Well, this is to build credibility, sir. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to talk to you about a bunch of things. We're going to talk about everything that's going on in America. But uh, I want to start with uh, the beef in the streets, right? There's some beef in these streets. Uh, We have um, a CNN reporter that says that they actually saw Kevin McCarthy elbow Congressman Tim Burchett uh, in the kidney. And uh, this is interesting. And he was on CNN earlier today talking about that. Uh, But we also have the uh, the clip from Representative uh, Burchett saying that McCarthy got him with a clean shot to the kidneys. Check this out. Well, I was doing an interview um, with um, Claudia from NPR, uh, a lovely lady, and she was asking me a question. And and at that time, I uh, got elbowed in the back, and it kind of caught me off guard because it was a clean shot to the kidneys. And I turned back, and there was was Kevin. And um, and for a minute, I was kind of, what the heck just happened? And then I... Um, you know, I, I chased after him, of course. He's a, as I've stated many times, he's a he's a bully with $17 million in a security detail. You know, he's the type of guy that when you're a kid would throw a rock over the fence and run home and hide behind his mama's skirt. And you know, he just, you know, he, he uh, from behind, that kind of stuff. It, you know, that's not the way we handle things in East Tennessee. We, we If we have a problem with somebody, I'm going to look him in the eye and, and talk to him. Okay. All right, so Tim Burchett says he got sucker punched by Kevin McCarthy, former Speaker of the House. Uh, John Tobacco, what say you? John Tobacco. Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. Yeah, there you go. Richard. Go for it, brother. Two rich, two rich kids in the prep school. Oh, my. He elbowed me in the back, and I want to get him. And then I, I chased after him, but I couldn't get him. And he's like a guy who threw a rock over a fence and hurt, hit under his mama's skirt. I mean, all these Republicans, if you ask me, Rich, they got a lot better things they should be doing. They're worrying about elbowing each other and they're making it a national story that you got elbowed in the back. I would say, give me a break. Why don't Tim Burchett and Kevin McCarthy get the eight Republicans that voted with the Democrats again? All right. Well, you know what? You're right. And I think I've always said, look, when I was a radio host in New York City doing local shows, I always said, you know, if you're walking down the street in New York City and somebody punches you in the face, don't stop and ask them, why are you punching me? Punch them back first. Then you can talk later. Right. There's no sense in uh, letting them continue to pummel you. Now, Kevin McCarthy, John Tobacco, Kevin McCarthy says that reporters on Capitol Hill today, um, he told them all, I did not punch Burchett. Listen to this. A reporter was interviewing Burchard or something. I guess her shoulders hit because Burchard runs up to me after. I didn't know what he was talking about. So the reporter's asking me. I did not run and hit the guy. I did not kidney punch him. I did not shoot anything like that. You didn't shot him. No. I, we're walking through. You, you were at HC5, right? You guys line up along the way there. It was Bruce Wester and I walking out. He was interviewing somebody. I didn't know it was him or something. I guess I almost hit as I walked by. I didn't punch him. Did he punch Yeah, well, he... I guess it happened because when I was walking back further, I don't say somebody was interviewing me or talking to me, and he comes running up like, 
why, why, why did you hit me or something like that? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't even know something transpired. But reporters and witnesses said it looked like you, yeah. there was plenty of room for you to walk and that you intentionally hit him. There is, okay, not a place. Show me a reporter who saw that. Ask, call why Bruce Westerman. Call okay, well, ask Bruce Westerman. No, I did not go up. If I hit, if I would hit somebody, they would know I did. He said he knew he hit him. He said he said he was in pain that you hit him so hard in the kidneys. Well, Kevin McCarthy, um, I found the reporter. Her name is Claudia Grisales, and she was interviewing uh, Representative Burchett. Um, at the time, he was allegedly elbowed by former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, and she spoke about her experience uh, with that, with uh, Anderson Cooper on CNN, saying this, quote, until he was shoved, he lunged toward me in that moment. I thought maybe initially it was a joke, and I looked up, I saw it was McCarthy surrounded by his detail, Grisales continued. I could tell by Burchett's response soon after it was not a joke at all. The incident happened as Republicans headed out of a conference meeting early Tuesday. Burchett stopped to talk to reporters in the Capitol hallway, as he just mentioned, and former House Speaker McCarthy bumped into him. To me, it sounds like a shoulder check, and Burchett, um, you know, he's got his, uh, I'm going to say draws rather than panties, and be nice. Uh, he's got his draws in a bunch here. John Tobacco, what say you? Well, listen, I've interviewed uh, Burchett a bunch of times. I like him. I think he's a good guy. I think he's a straight-talking guy. Um, but I think it's much to do about nothing. I think the Republicans should get down to getting their conference in line. Um, we keep having this these wayward groups of Republicans, Rich, who vote with the Democrats. And the Democrats yeah. never vote with the Republicans. Let me say that again. Never. Well, they they did vote with Matt Gates to get rid of McCarthy. Well, Matt Gates voted with them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, it, uh, but when they're in control, Rich, they have their conference in complete lockstep, and they take their agenda and they shove it down our throat, and they're unrelenting. It seems like the Republicans, when they get control, they can't get their house in order. Why are we talking about Timber Shatt? taking an elbow check in the hallway of Congress. Like you said also, Rich, you know, give me a break. You're a grown man. Push him back. The guy guy hit you with a kidney shot. Yeah, don't push him back. Knock him out. You know what I mean? There's no pushing amongst men, I don't think. If you hit me with a kidney punch. And by the way, you know, my co-host on Wise Guys, Kara Kastronova. Golden Gloves former professional and Golden Gloves champion boxer. Um, and every so often we get to do a little shadow boxing or something. She gives me a whooping, but if she hits me in the kidney, I lose my breath. So um, <laughs> there, should be no, there should be no debate. If you got hit with a kidney punch, everyone around would know. Um, and you should respond in kind, if you ask me. But you yeah, and I, I talking I about it, us talking about it, shows me that the Republicans don't have their stuff in order, Rich, because we shouldn't be talking about this. We shouldn't be talking about two Republicans fighting each other or anything. We should be talking about um, going out there and taking Alejandro Mayorkas and throwing him out of office and showing the American people that the immigration crisis has to change. Um, and I, I'm, I'm sickened that we couldn't even impeach the border, the, the, the Mayorkas guy, because the border is a, glaring, is a glaring problem. And you know here in Staten Island, New York, 
I've been one of the leaders of the, we call We've been fighting back with regular men and women against mm-hmm. these illegal temporary migrant shelters. Um, and when I'm out at those protests, Rich, it's not a bunch of MAGA extremists, you know, in red caps. It's Democrats. It's Republicans. It's white. It's black. It's Latino. It's Asian. It's all people, men, women, all sexes, all religions, Muslim people are out there. Because they're seeing the values of America be deteriorated before their eyes. And people across the board are disgusted by what's happening with the border and how it's now boiling over into cities and states across the country. There are no more border cities. There, yeah. it's, it's everywhere you look. We've and, all and become Mayorkas. border cities. His, his head should be on the chopper block. The Republicans should easily take the majority. Okay, guys, here's what we're going to do we're going to knock this guy out of office and maybe they'll get us something better. And it's to me, Tim Burchett's injured kidney. Yeah, I agree with that. Folks, we're on with John Tobacco. He's the host from Newsmax TV of the hit show, Wise Guys, every weekend. Uh, He'll give us the times when we come right back. Folks, don't go anywhere. We're coming back with John Tobacco plus your calls. And remember, Open Phone America is coming up at the top of the hour. Get your calls in for that. 833-482-5337-833-4 Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. With regard to a potential shutdown, I understand that uh, the new Speaker of the House has a proposal. It's being negotiated with the minority leader of the House and Senator Schumer and... Uh, and uh, the uh, Republican leader also talking about it. That's President Biden at the White House uh, discussing the progress that's made in the funding bill to avoid a shutdown this weekend. And the House has passed a uh, short-term stopgap bill to um, prevent a partial government shutdown, uh, provided the Senate is on board. John Tobacco is our guest. You know John Tobacco from Newsmax TV. He's the guy with the nice Irish accent. That's on every weekend. He's the host of Wise Guys, co-host of Wise Guys, along with Cara Castronova. And John Tobacco, what do you think about this uh, spending measure? Do you feel that uh, Speaker Mike Johnson is Kevin McCarthy light by not addressing this full on? Or is he being shrewd and industrious by putting this Band-Aid solution together to fight another day? Well, on this one, I'm going to uh, reserve judgment, Rich. I think um, it may be a shrewd move, um, but I'd also like to see all these appropriations. I think there's uh, 10 or 12 appropriation bills that are supposed to get passed, and I think 
most of America, this is kind of this stuff kind of rolls your eyes back in your head. Um, but one of the things that we want the Congress to do is pass a budget, ultimately balance a budget, and then appropriate that money to the right places. Um, and they're just not doing that. So these kick the can down the road things, um, it's a little bit of a more more of the same. But I did like what Johnson did um, with, you know, hey, I'll appropriate, we'll appropriate some money for, for over in Israel, um, but we want to take some money that we have set aside for the IRS agents. So I have, uh, you know, in the Obama era, they used to say there were uh, green shoots of hope. I have green shoots of hope that uh, Mike Johnson's on the right path, but... You know, sometimes in Washington, uh, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. And he maybe came in with the best intentions. We're going to lay down the hammer. We're going to pass all the bills. Um, but then when you get inside the sausage factory, you got to kind of play the game, go along to get along a little bit. So I'm reserving judgment. And I actually think Mike Johnson was a good choice. And I'm hopeful that, you know, this one thing here is going to be a blip on the radar. He can get the conference together and have the McCarthy's and Burchett stop, you know, picking little sissy fights with each other and get down to the business of the American people. You know, I I feel uh, very similar to that. I opened up the show discussing my thoughts on it, and I thought the same thing. You know, it's one thing to uh, have the um, and some people might get mad at me, but. I feel it's a utopian fantasy, right? um, And I hope it comes true that we are one day able to reduce the size of our government and balance a budget again. But as I sit here right now with you, John Tobacco, I don't know that 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 is a reality. Um, We haven't passed a budget in a very long time. It's been one CR to the next CR. Um, I'm I'm very happy about Mike Johnson as speaker. However, I don't know that one guy can pull it off. Do, do you think that that's a warped view? Am I uh, getting beaten down by the reality of, of life, or am I just being jaded? No, I think, uh, as usual, uh, Rich, you're right on the money. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe both of us have some utopian view that down the line the Republicans are going to emerge and be fiscally responsible and they're going to balance budgets and they're going to cut taxes and improve the border. Um, but it sure been a bunch of time. And, uh, you know, a lot of times when I'm on my Newsmax show or I do hits on other shows and they're talking about, you know, they're going to shut down the government. What do you think, Johnny T? And I always say, hey, to everyone at home, namaste. Stay calm, because if you want to know one thing that Democrats and Republicans can always agree on, it's figuring out a way to spend more money. So they always figure that out, and they're always in lockstep on that. So, you know, yeah, I may be utopian, but I guess guys like us are still optimistic that, you know, the real conservative people like Ronald Reagan and others will come back and Republicans will actually take charge and get the house in order. Um, but we'll, we, you know, we're losing faith. And, you know, uh, the sad thing also, Rich, was, you know, when they, when, uh, when they were trying to, when they were trying to uh, elect a new house speaker, um, we had other Republicans that were going off the reservation, like the mm-hmm. four freshmen, from, from New, New York. York, right? They wouldn't vote for Jim Jordan. 
those guys, yeah. right? And that, they were Tobacco. Hang on right there. I gotta take a quick pause. We're gonna come back and talk about that and tell everybody about your show and exactly what time they could catch it. Folks are on with John Tobacco from Newsmax TV. Don't move a muscle. This is America at night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We've got two minutes before it's open. Phone America time, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And our guest is John Tobacco. I want to wrap up with John Tobacco. John Tobacco, I want you to tell everybody what Wise Guys on Newsmax is all about. Well, Wise Guys uh, on Newsmax is, uh, if you ask me, one of the more unique news programs on television. You know, every week my co-host and I hit the streets of America and we go out and talk to regular people. And then we take those interviews to the table for a sit-down at Spark Steakhouse. Cara, myself, and our uh, legal expert, I call him my consigliere, Lou Gelamino, sit down with some of the greatest guests in America today, Dick Morris, Carrie Lake, Joe Tacopina, you name them, we've had them on the show. Uh, last week, Kimberly Guilfoyle, Rudy Giuliani, um, the list goes on and on. And we take the people's views, hey, this is what Joe in Maryland had to say when we were out there. And we played a clip, and then we talk about the people's views with the pundits that you see on TV and the great people that you see in Congress. We've had congressmen. We've had it all on the show. Um, even our good friend Sid Rosenberg has been on the show. So um, it's a fun show. Newsmax lets me uh, demonstrate, like you said, my uh, not-that-deep Italian accent, but we play around <laughs> with my Italian heritage. Um, and we talk to people like they're regular folks, not like we're some right. higher power or something like that. And John, uh, let what? everybody know what time the show airs quickly. You tune in every Saturday night at 10 o'clock and you're going to get a wonderful news and entertainment experience. Not as great as Valdez, but 10 <laughs> o'clock Saturday nights wise, guys. All right, John Tobacco, you are a gentleman, a scholar and a patriot. I want to thank you for staying up late with us, brother. Thank you, Rich. You bet. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. Hour number three is coming up. It's Open Phone America, your calls and me. Don't miss it. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. 
Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the Tuesday night edition of the program. It's hour number three. We call it Open Phone America, and the phone number is 833-4825-337-8334, Valdez. I'm keeping you company straight till 1 a.m., and I want to get into a few things this hour. I want to talk about uh, the White House has uh, admitted that Hamas has been hiding hostages inside of Gaza hospitals. Uh, And this is a big deal because it's an obvious war crime. We're going to talk about that. Um, Also, of course, the House of Representatives has passed a short-term spending bill to avoid a government shutdown. It's got to go through the Senate, and we're not totally out of the woods, but the House has passed that bill. And, uh, of course, there was that big rally today. uh, Two to 300,000 people showed up in D.C. for the pro-Israel rally. And uh, there's another one here. A Michigan judge has ruled that Trump can remain on the primary ballot uh, after they tried to remove him using an old Civil War era rule. I mean, this guy can't get a break. And uh, there's an update on the story we talked about on yesterday, Monday night, uh, which was uh, the beating death of a teenager tried to uh, stick up for a friend of his that was uh, getting um, robbed. And white kid, and he was beat down by about 15 uh, black kids, all of them teenagers. And um, it was just, you know, ghastly to see that this kid was beaten to death. And the media, you know, failed to report the racial aspect of it. And again, I don't want the media to report the racial aspect of it because I don't think that is ideally what this story is about. But it's always interesting, whether it's the uh, Ahmaud Aubrey case it was, you know, three white men gunned down a black teen, right? And that may not have necessarily been about that either, right? That was just, they thought this kid was stealing, they grabbed him, they shot him. Now, if, if there, that was a component of it, then use it across the board, right? I don't think that we should be using these racial identifiers uh, as part of um, media stories if, if we're not going to use them all the time, right? Either use them or don't use them. But anyway... Um, there's an update on that story, but I want to give you the, uh, the nuts and bolts of it again. Uh, we got our news report from that from yesterday. Check this out. A heartbroken father shares his outrage. Tonight, in a one-on-one interview, the dad of this Rancho High School student, beaten to death, allegedly by his own classmates, shares what his family is going through and the justice they're seeking as no arrests have been made so far. Fox News Kim Passoff joins us live now near the school with the latest from the family. Jonathan Lewis gave his son the same name, never imagining that he would outlive him. But the 17-year-old's life was cut short after school one day earlier this month. His father has seen a viral video that Fox 5 will not be showing, showing that beating allegedly at the hands of fellow students. Yeah, I saw a couple seconds of this video on accident, and these kids are just like, it's just like lunacy. I can't even just imagine what's, how it ever even comes to this. Jonathan. Of course, this uh, that was the report um, yesterday. There is an update on that. And uh, Jonathan Lewis, again, was um, fatally beaten. Now there's been eight individuals arrested in the Vegas teens fatal beating. Um, several students were arrested. Cops in uh, Sin City announced 
eight have been arrested between the ages of 13 and 17, and they're all students at Rancho High. With the assistance of the FBI, cops took all students, all eight students into custody this morning, and uh, law enforcement is still working to identify two more teens believed to be involved in the fatal beatdown. Um, let me see. I'm just looking at a picture. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nine. All right, so it was probably 10, not 15, although this frame shows 10. I originally thought I counted 15 when I first watched that video. The uh, incident happened November 1st after school got out and the kid was just, you know, pummeled on the ground, stomped to death, brought him to a hospital. He died in the hospital. And the, the whole thing started over somebody stealing the kid's headphones, wireless headphones, and a vape pen. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, With everyone agreeing to meet in the alley and fight over it. Now, the video appears to show Jonathan, who's wearing white, getting swarmed by mostly black kids. Cops say the incident is not being considered a hate crime. Yeah, I don't think it should be. I don't think they beat him up because he was white. I think they beat him up because they wanted to rob him. Uh, And because he was defending his friend. Uh, But... Clearly, the uh, they're saying their quote that this beating was void of humanity. I agree with that 100 percent because the students are minors. Police are not releasing their names, though they will be prosecuted as adults, as they should be. They knew exactly what they were doing. This was not, you know, a little kid making a mistake. This is brutality. And you have to be tough. And I say this as a parent. If my kid did something like this, I would want them to be tough on them because you can't allow this to happen. The minute you let people walk on stuff like this, the more they're going to do it and others will do it. Anyway, I want to get your reactions to this and more uh, straight ahead. We're going to go get to your calls. We got calls from all across the country coming in, uh, South Carolina, Missouri and others. And let me give you the phone number, 833-482-5337. Uh, 8334-VALDEZ. And of course, if you missed any portion of the interviews we did tonight, of course, we had John Tobacco on. Uh, we had um, Nick McKinley on talking about human trafficking and human smuggling. And we had Ben Stein, you know him from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. Uh, he's terrific. He's an attorney. He's an author and an economist and had a lot to share. He was also a speechwriter in the Nixon and Ford administrations. And... Um, Of course, any topic that you want to bring to the table, we're happy to discuss it. If you disagree, you get moved to the front of the line. And if you're a first-time caller, we'll also try to get to you as soon as possible. Again, that number, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 
5337-833-4VALDES. That's Valdes with an S. We have information that Hamas and the Palestinian Islamic Jihad use some hospitals in the Gaza Strip, including Al-Shifa, and tunnels underneath them to conceal and to support their military operations and to hold hostages. We have information that confirms that Hamas is using that particular hospital for a command and control node and probably storage of, of equipment, weapons uh, up underneath that. This is, this is, that is a war crime. That, that does uh, make it much more difficult for the Israeli Defense Forces. So that's John Kirby, um, White House uh, spokesperson uh, for the um, national security team saying that the United States now has intelligence that Hamas has used Gaza's Al-Shifa hospital to hold hostages. And all I can say to that is I, I've i had that intelligence for, I don't know, a month and a half, maybe two months. <laughs> what is going on with this White House? Uh, I've known that from just speaking with a bunch of people that were on the ground or have uh, extensive um, you know, knowledge of what's going on on the ground. Uh, we spoke with reporters that were on the ground, and we've known this. I thought it was a foregone conclusion. I'd seen videos. How is it that John Kirby's just finding this out today, November 14th? Crazy to me. Absolutely crazy. Anyway, the White House said that they have this information uh, where they're trying to conceal and to support their military operations and to hold hostages. And uh, it appears to be the first time the U.S. has revealed specific intelligence about how and where it says Hamas has held Israelis and Americans that have been kidnapped. And this has been since October 7th. Now, honestly, I say that we've been talking about this for two months, but two years ago, there were reports that Hamas, Hamas has always hid uh, in the hospitals, the schools, and the mosques. This has been their MO, I don't know, for a decade, if not more. Uh, but I, I'll give uh, Mr. Kirby the benefit of the doubt here and say that, um, you know, I guess he needed something that was concrete, that was recent, you know, not speculative as to how they typically operate. And speaking of generalities like I do, but come on, John Kirby, you've got to do better, Admiral. Anyway, uh, let's go to your calls. A lot of people have been patiently holding on. Uh, we've got calls from New York, Mon- uh, Missouri, South Carolina. Let's go to Van. Van is calling from Columbia, South Carolina, WX- WQXL. Van, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hey, Mr. Valdez. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, brother. Uh, you Thank had you. some good guests tonight. All right, I've been listening all night, and I uh, I call local. But look, uh, one thing I want to say real quick: I don't have television, internet, nothing. I get my news from you guys on the radio, mm-hmm. and that guy you had on, Mister Tobacco, Joe yeah. Tobacco, John. But he's not on the radio, right? No, he's not on the radio. He's on TV. Okay, but uh, another thing, uh, yeah. And, uh, wow, you reported that uh, story about the kid that got beat up. I thought it was in California, but apparently in Nevada. Yeah. The, the kid, yeah. that Oh, that's a bummer, man. Heartbreaking. I, I don't know what to say about that. I, wow. But you're right. You know, if I beat a kid to death and my dad knew about it, he'd beat me to death. Yeah. Yeah, you just I'm, don't do that. You don't. Right. Kick Who does that? Head and stuff. Over a pair of headphones and a and a vaping e cigarette. Nonsense, man. Just and and you could hear the dude breaking down, and uh, the way. Uh, but I'm getting distracted. Uh, yeah, Mr. Stein, that was a great interview. Oh, thank you. 
few times. He must have been in California or something, but uh, Ben Stein is a smart cat. And uh, you guys got a great show. That's all I got to say. No, uh, Mr. Valdez, you. you guys are rolling. All right. God bless you and keep you always. Bye-bye. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. God bless you too, Van. means a lot. Uh, let us continue with our calls. Uh, very kind of you, Van. Uh, let's go to Bill, Jefferson City, Missouri, or as they say, Missouri, KTTR. Bill is our resident historian on the program. Bill, go right ahead. Yes, uh, I was worrying today about, but I, I've got a feeling a lot better this evening because I went to some programs and just forgot about all the problems with J- Joe Biden and his Secretary of State and Mr. You know the Lincoln, O'Milly. Oh yes. Uh, so anyway, I, I've thought of Missouri things. I thought of a CIA station chief that in 1983 was killed, uh, William Buckley, William F. Buckley. And, and, but anyway, uh, there was a Missourian today that I, I went to a concert that featured Robert Russell Bennett, really great guy that was celebrating 100 years of our Jefferson City Symphony. And his mm. uh, music is... Born in Missouri, he was a really, he's really done great things. So anyway, uh, tomorrow I'll worry about uh, San Francisco and and, <laughs> and President Xi and President Biden. Yeah, but but tonight I was sort of celebrating, so I just thought I'd share with that you. And I also thought of Missourian Jim Bohannon, whose death you mentioned just uh, on the one year anniversary of that. So that was yeah. my thought. Yeah, it was actually this Sunday was the one-year anniversary. I mentioned it on Friday. And, uh, uh, I, uh, you know, I'm always really without words when it comes to uh, the legend Jim Bohannon. What an amazing broadcaster. I'm, I'm grateful to him for the opportunity to be here and to many others. Uh, but um, we'll never forget Jimbo and his program. His legacy will live on forever. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate it. And uh, let me see. I still have time. We can go to another call. <clears throat> Let's go uh, to Paul, Boise, Idaho, streaming the show at Rich Valdez, America at night.com. Paul, go right ahead. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Yes, you know, sir. This, this whole thing about Hamas utilizing the deceptiveness that they use um, all the way up through October 7th to be able to get it ready to go and then to do it and then to have the, the places to go after they did what they did, especially the hospitals and the schools and the, even the Boy Scout, uh, where the Boy Scout troops not. And, and, and that just shows their cowardice, their, their inability to fight like men. And, and, and I don't say that in a derogatory way. That's what they do so that they can... Uh, the ends can justify the means. Right. Um, yeah. It's, they call it terrorism. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's so far removed from fighting fair as far as the Geneva convention, conventional war. It's, it's not even on the map. And for, for you to, to be a part of that and to wave the Palestinian flag and say that, that the, the Jews are actually trying to commit genocide 
is utterly absurd to me. It makes no sense if they had any idea about history and what occurred between 19, well, 29 when Mein Kampf was written and when the, the, the camps started, the death camps started in 33 at Dachau, all the way to 45 when the, the, the Germans that ran the camp, they shed their, their uniform and put on the prisoner's uniform that they were given, the Jews were, so that they could escape justice. I mean, it's just, it's cowardice after cowardice after cowardice to hide behind an ideological misnomer. And so when I saw what, I didn't get to see the the whole march today on Washington, but what I did see was a lot of love for one another there. There wasn't, there wasn't a lot of banging into each other like I saw when they're waving the Palestinian flag saying that the Jews are trying to commit genocide. And then I saw them, they, I think they took a page right out of the Jews' handbook when in San Francisco they had that protest that they had and they were acting like normal human beings would in a peaceful protest. And I think they learned from watching the Jews today. Oh, I hope so. I think, you know, uh, I don't know if it's necessarily the Jews. I think all of us should behave like civilized human beings. And the idea that, you know, um, I guess there's so much of news about barbaric stuff. Uh, and again, listen, I'm not the most gentle guy, but uh, I don't go around just, um, you know, killing people, beating people, robbing people. That is becoming so commonplace in society today. And there seems to be part of our population, and in my opinion, it's mainly younger people that are growing up very detached from any sense of humanity and life. And I think that's an issue that we need to address. And it's when I say we, I mean we, we the people, we Americans. Um, If kids don't care about life, how are we going to move forward into the future? Paul, thanks for the call. I appreciate it, folks. Your calls and more coming up straight ahead, 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't move a muscle. America. Welcome back, Familia. We're going to continue our discussion. And I wanted to, we were just talking about the violence of this kid that was uh, brutally murdered in a beating robbery in Las Vegas. And and earlier I talked about the um, elbow check or the, uh, the um, yeah, I guess it was an elbow check from McCarthy to uh, Burchett, uh, both congressmen walking past each other in the hallway and that became a thing. But there was more drama that came out of Capitol Hill. And by the way, we're going to get to your calls momentarily. Continue to hold on. I just want to cover this because I want your reactions on it as well. You have Senator Mark Wayne Mullen, who was in a committee hearing today, 
with the head of the Teamsters. And um, things got a little heated in there. Listen to this. Sir, I wish you was in the truck with me when I was building my plumbing company. Myself and my wife was running the office because I sure remember working pretty hard and long hours. Pretends like he's self-made. What a clown. Fraud. Always has been. Always will be. Quit the tough guy act in these Senate hearings. You know where to find me. Any place, any time, cowboy. Sir, this is a time, this is a place. You want to run your mouth? We can be two consenting adults. We can finish it here. Okay, that's fine. Perfect. You want to do it now? I'd love to do it right now. Well, stand your butt up then. You stand your butt up. Oh, hold on. Oh, hold, stop it. Is that your solution every poll? No, no, sit down. Oh, Eric, sit down. Okay. You know, you're a United States senator. Sit down. Active. Oh, okay, okay. Sit down, please. All right. Can I respond? Mr. Hold Shim. it. Hold it. If hold we can't, no, I have the mic. Said. I'm sorry. This is hold what it. he said. You'll have your time. Okay. Can I respond? Oh, no, you can't. <laughs> this is a hearing. Can I be heard? No, you can't. Anyway, that's Senator Mark Wayne Mullen, Republican and uh, from Oklahoma. And what he was, he was speaking with this man. And then he read him a tweet that this uh, individual, Sean O'Brien, had sent to him saying, uh, Mullen pretends like he's self-made. What a clown. Fraud always has been, always will be. Quit the tough guy act and the Senate hearings. You know where to find me anytime, any place, cowboy. And that was the end of that quote. And then Mullen tells him, sir, this is a time. This is a place. You want to run your mouth? We can be two consenting adults. This is where I think, listen, uh, if I were in Congress, I'd probably do something like this and I'd probably get in trouble for it. But uh, I'm not in Congress. I'm on the radio. <laughs> he is in Congress. And uh, I'm pretty sure he's going to get in trouble for that. Um, and you heard the, the back and forth. And at the end, Bernard Sanders Healthcare is a right, right? He gets involved and says, no, hold on, sit down. No, you can't talk. And Mullen calls the guy a clown again, and it gets crazy. And then Sanders takes to television, and he uh, takes Mullen to town saying uh, this was very pathetic. It's pathetic. Listen to this. Well, it's pretty pathetic. I mean, we have a United States senator challenging a you know, a uh, member of the panel who's the head of one of the larger unions in America, which has just negotiated a very good contract for their workers, Teamsters. You know, I, I think and I, the point that I try to make there is, you know, this country, Anderson, faces so many crises. We have massive income and wealth inequality. We have a housing crisis. Our health care system is, you know, almost collapsing. It's broken. It's dysfunctional. We pay the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs. Climate change is threatening the entire existence of the planet. And this is what goes on in a Senate hearing. And that's why, you know, the American people are getting sick and tired of what goes on here in Congress. So there you have it. That was the uh, the ruckus coming out of Capitol Hill today. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on that and more. Uh, let's go to John giving us a call from Long Island, New York. How you doing? WJJF, well, go right good, ahead. Uh, Rich. I'm doing uh, great, Rich, brother. I'm doing pretty good. I hope you're doing well. All right. Thank God. Uh, I know. Yeah, years ago. Yeah, right. Thank God. Uh, years ago, uh, I was driving across country. Matter of fact, it was Oklahoma. Hmm. And uh, along Interstate 40, we had Senator Mullen uh, from Oklahoma. And um, 
I see for 20 miles or 30 miles, this billboards, giant billboards about Wilson's hams, stop for Wilson's hams. So now after 30 of them, I said, you know, I got to stop and see how, you know, what this is all about. And I went in and bought a pound of ham and on my way out the door, right next to the door is a picture frame, a big picture frame, maybe, well, foot and a half by foot and a half. And it's, it's, uh, has a, a newspaper clipping in it. And it startled me. I saw four kids, boys, maybe just teenagers, hanging from rope. By uh, their neck? Uh, of course, a whole by their neck, dead. Oh, wow. Dead. And so I read at the bottom a caption that said that so-and-so gang, it was 16, 17, and 18, four boys, hung for the murder of a teller at the so-and-so bank robbery there in Oklahoma. Wow. So they murdered this, this teller had been killed in this bank robbery, but apparently they didn't care which one of them killed the bank robber. They just hung all four of them. And their ju- idea of justice was, we're not going to let stuff like this out. We're not going to let this run society. And right. I, I almost think, I almost think they should take these kids who kill that boy, this gang who we do not need in society like this, and maybe they should execute him. Oh, boy. Well, listen, I, I don't, I don't uh, know that California has um, capital punishment anymore. Do they? Yeah. Oh, Nevada. Excuse me. Yeah, I don't know that they do. But listen, I'm with you in throwing the book at them. You got to throw the book at these kids and 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 treat them all as adults and put them in jail for whatever it is. And I know somebody's listening saying, Rich, but they, they, they made a mistake. They were following the crowd. And, uh, and if, if it becomes a death penalty thing, then, then so be it. If they have that in Nevada, which I think they do, I was confusing it with California. Um, but, uh, John, yeah, listen, that's how you put an end to this stuff. News travels quick. I'll tell you a couple of years ago, I had a buddy, um, who was, I grew up with this kid and, you know, I, I got into business and did my thing as a teenager <clears throat> and he, um, he got involved in the streets selling drugs and doing whatever. And we've kept in touch over the years, although, you know, he, he was incarcerated for a while and he once called me and I got a call and said, you've got a call from the federal blah, 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 you know, and, uh, he called me from jail and, and he called me a few times, but one of the times he called me and this is a separate story, but brings back to this. And he tells me, bro, you were right. And I said, right about what? And he said, about your guy, Trump. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, Every, I, he said I, moved, I got moved from the Hispanic Latino section of the jail to the black section of the jail. And he said, when I got here, these black guys, all they do is talk about Donald Trump. And I said, what? I was like, people in jail talk about Trump? And he said, bro, all day. And I said, why? And he said, well... Trump, uh, this was uh, about three or four years ago, and he said it's because Trump had passed this uh, criminal justice reform known as the First Step Act, and many of these people who were involved in nonviolent offenses that were serving 20, 30 years uh, had their sentences uh, reduced or commuted or whatever the case was as part of that um, um, legislation. And he said they were thrilled with Trump, saying he's the most fair president they'd ever seen, and, you know, you shouldn't be putting people in jail for 40 years for drugs. And 
the point was the street was talking, right? Um, what was happening in Washington was immediately the talk and the chatter in the jail. And I found that to be remarkable. I mean, of course, they had TV and whatnot, but I just thought, who's talking about politics in jail? But in a, it's going back to what you were saying. When you make an, uh, an example of someone, the word gets out and people talk. And uh, they, they need to be very aggressive in their prosecution of, of all 10 of these guys once they catch them. Uh, because you should never stomp somebody to death, um, uh, you know, unless it's some sort of um, self-defense, you know, you're chasing a child rapist. And even then, you're going you're gonna to get in trouble if it's 10 of you against one. But, John, thank you for the call, brother. I appreciate that story, and I appreciate you listening. Do you get to listen every day? Rich, uh, yeah, I do. I hear at night. I often stay up and listen to you. But I'd like to add, there's another recent murder of, uh, of a feller in jail who was due to be out in two weeks or something. I can't remember the state. I thought it was California, that one. Oh, I think I read about that as well. Yeah, and, and, and he got, they, they, uh, I think he was raped too, but before. Uh, I'm going to, uh, during the break, I'm going to check into that story, and if I find it, I'll, I'll mention it on the air. And I saw the same thing. He was like two weeks away from getting out, and then he, they, they did him in. John, I want to thank you for the call. You're the man. I think it was out of Alabama. Uh, I'm going to take a quick pause here, and we're going to come right back. Folks, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, we continue with your calls. Open phone, America, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to Galloway, New Jersey. That's right by Atlantic City, uh, W-O-N-D country, and check in with our buddy Lance. Lance, go right ahead. Hey, a gracious good evening, <laughs> Rich. Uh, two quick highlights in regards to listening to you uh, later on in the show. Number one, um, the, if you remember the Teamster guy and the Senator, it was like a, a bizarre Fellini style show off or like a, a spaghetti Western, but like mm -hmm. with on the waterfront. And I actually thought that the Teamster guy should have done what the uh, gentleman did over in the Mideast, took off his shoe and threw it at the guy, <laughs> the <laughs> Senator, <laughs> you know? So it just shows you that we're, we're turning our legislative halls into a ruckus like parliament where people are yelling and screaming. And again, it goes down back to what you do. You say you're on the radio. Well, we, as the listeners, we have to appreciate the art of listening and uh, active listening. And that's when you call in and, you know, the, in honor of Jim Bohannon, 
to call in and to listen. And that's not only is if there's an art of listening, but there's an art of patience. Neither one of those two guys, I think they had too much testosterone in them and, you know, social media. And also in regards to the unfortunate tragedy of that young kid being beaten up in all high schools, whenever, if ever, if you ever see scenes, uh, scenes on local news of fights in schools, it's sort of like they act the, the, the people that are doing the beatdown, and that's exactly what it is. It is a beatdown, and it's like an initiation. They, you just want to get in there and beat down, and that's like the Lord of the Flies. There's no – the youth of today has lost all moral compass. They don't even know how to read a compass, let alone use it in mathematics. But the bottom line is there's too much depraved – they've been depraved or deprived of having a true family upbringing with moral uh, – a North Star somewhere. And they, and there's such fueling of hate in every aspect of their day, they have nothing to worry about. And if they are addicted to video games or porn or something like that, they just attack and lash out. So it's a combination of depri- depravity and hatred and, unfortunately, social media. Because there were schmucks there actually filming the stupid thing. So go figure. So, But yeah. I wanted to wish you or, and your listeners a very happy Thanksgiving. We don't do it before that time because you oh, know thank what? you lance that's well, i appreciate you know, that yeah and it's good right, to hear your I voice appreciate you listening to your bizarre uh, stories and of course your you know commonsensical and cl- and uh, opinions with clarity and consistency All thank right? you thanks You're very the man. much very very kind of you and very eloquent as well and and i agree with you i think you hit the nail on the head the real problem here lance and everybody else that's listening is that we, we have destroyed the family structure. Uh, listen, I really don't care what you think about me or what you say. All I can tell you is when you grow up in a home where there is a man that you call dad, who is the king of the castle that you live in, and he will do something to you, whether it's take off his belt, uh, backhand you, whatever it is, yell at you, you know, correct you, you grow up differently than someone that lacks that structure. I know somebody's going to take exception to that and say, no, because you can grow up in a single parent home and of course you can. It doesn't mean it's ideal. You know, you can also eat McDonald's every day and still be skinny. It doesn't mean it's ideal. Anyway, we continue with your calls. We're going to go to New York and South Carolina straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We continue with your calls. Let's go to Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Check in with Scott. Scott, go right ahead. Hey, Rich, I love the show. I just, I'm not quite there with you when you said earlier trying them as adults. And uh, I'll give you a quick uh, hypothetical. Today's November 14th. Uh, a 17-year-old gets arrested for possession of alcohol and tobacco. Cop turned the corner. The kid's got the beer to his lips. He's got a lit cigarette in his hand. So he's arrested. He's booked, fingerprinted, blah, 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 arraigned. And he gets a quick trial, speedy trial, I mean. 
and he pleads guilty, and the judge sentences him to home detention or 30 days or 60 days in juvie, whatever. That's not the point. So he's sentenced. Now, they eventually upload his fingerprints to the federal database. I think it's called CODIS. Mm-hmm. And a hit comes back. There was a convenience store robbery two months ago in September. And uh, the clerk was mur- shot dead. And they found fingerprints on the cash drawer when he went through the cash register. All right. So he's already been adjudicated a minor in possession of alcohol and tobacco. And now the local district attorney wants to charge him as an adult. What's your argument against it? Quickly. Um, it's inconsistent. Oh, I see. In those two situations. Well, I think the the deal here is with capital crimes um, and, and even other crimes, but they typically, uh, most jurisdictions have this rule that like if you're older than 14, uh, they'll consider trying you as an adult in some places at 16. Uh, I see what you're saying. The, you know, drinking beer and smoking versus the armed robbery. Um, I just don't see how you take somebody who's 17 and is an armed robber and how you, you, you give them six months in juvie or 10 years in juvie. I mean, you can give him the remainder of that year until he turns 18 and then finish the rest of the sentence as an adult. But I, I don't see how you just treat them as, as somebody other than an adult when they've done an adult bad thing, if you will, an adult transgression. But, Scott, I agree with the inconsistency. Um, and it seems like they might have been lenient in that case. Big shout out to WTMA. Thanks for the call. Jane, Saratoga, New York, WGDJ. Go right ahead. I'll make it quick. Okay. Something interesting. Um, they were talking a lot today about the cocaine that had been found at the White House. Now, what's interesting is two days before they were going away and before the cocaine was mentioned, Biden, I've never heard it again, he had a rant about he was sick of the B-12 shots they were giving him. He was sick of being poked. And why wouldn't they just let him take what makes him feel good? So <laughs> you never, never heard That's it funny, again. Jane. I don't if that's the case. Uh, but uh, interesting and humorous nonetheless. Big shout out to WGDJ, Saratoga, New York. And I did see that photo of the cocaine on ABC News. And um, I don't think we'll ever find out the mystery behind it. Folks, hasta la próxima. Take care. God bless. And good night, America. I'm Rich Valdez. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.